The Weird, Wacky, Wonderful Stories podcast is now proud to be part of the Low Tree Studios podcast network. To enjoy more great podcasts like this one, head along to lowtreestudios.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Weird, Wacky, Wonderful Stories podcast with your hosts, Shelley and Bella. Everybody, and welcome to episode 76 of the Weird, Wacky, Let Me Finish, and Wonderful Stories podcast. Okay, what the hell's the matter with you? I don't know, it just felt like, you know. sounded like you were going to go, hey, doggy, doggy, the way you do when you mess with our dog. Oh, she loves that little, she's got her own theme tune. Yeah, she She wiggles her ass. She walks into the room and you go, hey, doggy, doggy. And then she starts dancing around and wiggling her butt, much like you do when you come in the room and I go, hey, belly, bella. And you go, ooh, he's paying me attention. That must be in your dream because I don't do that. (laughs) I got a whole lot of stuff that might wiggle and jiggle, but it's nowhere near the same as, you know. I'm not talking about the your wiggly and jiggly bits. wiggles and jiggles. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the way you wag your tail that makes me laugh. Mm. Anyway, guys, we have got... Wait, wait, wait. Just so you know, I bought new undies. Oh, my God. And did a nice little sexy dance right in front of my husband. And what did he do? Laughed at me. Can I just say... No. Your new no. sexy undies. No. <laughs> uh, Amazon granny pants. <laughs> they're not granny pants. They're middle-aged woman pants. Yeah, but there's no like lace or frill or or flowers or or they're black Amazon granny pants. Right. Okay. So I just want to ask you this: <laughs> If I had on a pair of nice, sexy little pink undies, and I had on a pair of black granny pant undies, as you call them, and I took both of them off and said, "Get it." You'd go, no, I only want the one with the pink undies. Is that where we're, is that where we're going with this? No. All right, then. No. Let's move on. We've got lots of I things. I love you irrespective of your panties. Because you don't like my knuckle sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I try to avoid them wherever possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, anyway, back to what I was going to say. You probably noticed at the start of this show that there was a little bit of information that said that we are now part of the Low Tree Studios podcast network. What does that mean? For absolutely you, nothing. For you guys. For, guys. <laughs> for you guys, yeah, absolutely nothing. Other than the fact that our podcast now features on the Low Tree Studios network, which means that more people will find our podcast, hopefully, and that means that more traffic will be generated and we'll get more downloads, and then we will have... It's like buy-in power, really. We can get some of the other guests on who immediately say, well, what are your viewing figures? You know, how many millions of downloads do you get a week? Which, obviously, we're not in that league at the moment. So, Don't tell them that. Well, no, I mean, you know, I'm being realistic. (laughs) So the more you share the podcast, the better 
the show can become. We're not earning any money by it, so it's not the more you share it, the more money we get, because that's not how it works. It's just the more downloads we get, and the more downloads we get, that makes us a little bit more powerful in the podcast world. So being part of the Low Tree Studios podcast network is going to help us achieve that. Also, the guys who run that, Jason and Mindy, they have some really cool podcasts themselves as well. Head along to lowtreestudios.com and have a look at some of the podcasts they've got going on there. The Jason and Mindy podcast is the one that I tend to listen to a lot on there. I absolutely love that show. They're a lot like us two, really, aren't they, in the way that they interact with each other. They don't deal predominantly with paranormal stuff. They deal with everything. So if you're just looking for a chat show that's a good laugh with some really decent people and some good interaction with the guests as well, because they do it live and the guests actually get onto CastBox and interact with them. So it's a really good show. Have a look at that. That's a Jason and Mindy podcast. And that's obtainable via all your favourite podcast apps and also via lowtreestudios.com. See, I always thought we should do a chat show, but I would not want to sit in front of this computer with a camera so people can see me looking like a granny in my granny panties. Well, uh, hopefully you wouldn't be doing the podcast just in your granny panties. But I tell you something, if you were, we would get a shitload more listeners. All right, so I'll buy you some grandpa panties and we'll see how that goes. Doesn't work the same with blokes. People don't tune in to watch a bloke just wearing pants, but I know, they would tune in to that, watch a woman All that stuff's pants. just hanging around. But of course, my boobs are hanging, so. Let's move on. <laughs> There's another thing that's happening with this podcast. This is nothing to do with Low Tree Studios. This is just because we decided to change it up a little bit. Yeah, because we're lazy. <laughs> You know, it doesn't matter how professional I'm trying to be today, Bella. You've just got it on you. You've got it on you. You've been playing your online bingo. You're all happy. Yes, in my granny panties. You're all happy because you've been spending money and all that sort of stuff. You've yet to win, but I've I, spent, I guess you've got to be I've in it to spent, win it, as they say. I've spent one pound thus far. So you've played 100 games, 100 penny games. Well, between two sides, yeah. Why? Okay, so let me get on and tell these guys what's happening because we've got a little bit of a format change. So today we have an interview for you, which we'll start off with. It's about half an hour with a very knowledgeable local ghost researcher and investigator. So that's coming up first. Then we've got what will form part of two regular segments. One, which is a UFO segment, which is going to be hosted by our great friend and former guest on this show, Richard Lenny. Now, he's a well-known UK UFO researcher, but he researches UFO incidents all over the world. So he's going to come on and he's going to do a 10-minute slot for you. Now, this is going to happen every month. So every month from now on, you'll have a UFO slot from Richard. So he's going to be researching and compiling all of that together for you and then delivering that once a month on a show for us. So that'll be every other show. And then after Richard has been on, you'll then hear the author and ghost researcher herself, Ruth Roper Wild. She'll be coming on to do a 10-minute slot herself. And again, this will be happening every month. And she will come on to do a slot about ghosts, about hauntings that she's heard about or researched, and then anything that might be new in the paranormal world as well. So whether it might be, for instance, new equipment that is being developed to detect ghosts or any amount of things, it's up to them. We're not giving them any reins other than the fact it needs to be a 10 to 15-minute slot 
on your given subject. So we don't know what they're going to come up with, but you'll be kept abreast. Be sure of that. And then we've also got another guest who will be appearing regularly with a little snippet. Yeah, that's not on this show today, but coming in the future, we've got a chap from Berlin in Germany. You heard him on the last podcast that we released. He is going to be doing a little tiny bite-sized podcast for us, which is going to be coming out in between our normal shows. So we normally put the show out every other week. On the alternate weeks that we don't usually put a show out, we're going to put an episode out of Tom's Reminiscence. And that's some really interesting stories that he's got there. He grew up in Alabama. The way of life was totally different back then to what it is now. And I think we take a lot of things for granted. Certainly, health and safety would be going absolutely crazy with some of the things that (laughs) (laughs) that he's told us about. (laughs) Absolutely amazing. So they're little bite-sized pieces. So if you've got five, ten minutes to spare, you can have a listen to Tom. We're going to be calling the show Reminiscing with Tom. So that will be on every other week. But... Without any further ado, I suppose we should get on to this week's show. Yes, I agree. We will hand it over now to our first interview with Phil Jones. Joining us today, we have a guest who lives in the same town as us. He's an investigator with lots of experience in investigating the paranormal. He runs a group, which we'll be speaking about later, and a website, which is www.ghostwatchersinc.co.uk. Now, our paths have crossed in the past but neither of us knew the interest we each had in the subject until recently, when a mutual friend of ours assumed that we knew each other through the field. It's great to have a boots-on-the-ground investigator here with us once again to give us their first-hand experiences. Please welcome to the show, Phil Jones. Hi, good evening. How are you doing? Yeah, we're doing good. Hi, Phil. Good, good. Hi, Bella. How are you doing? Oh, all right. We're just going to pick your brains a bit, I think. Uh, That shouldn't (laughs) take long. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as I said in the intro there, you actually formed Ghostwatchers Inc. in 2007, but you draw from 25 years' worth of experience, according to your website. So how did you gain that experience? Well, basically, when I was a lot younger, and when we first had a video recorder in our house, we hired from Granada, I think it was at the time. My sister hired it with with her wages, and she was... She's a bit of a horror fan. I remember watching this film when I was quite young. The poltergeist kind of grew an interest in me, really. You know, it's mysterious. It was different. You know, I probably shouldn't have been watching it at that age. But, you know, back then, it didn't really matter. You know, you didn't really think about things like that. It's just it sort of grew from there, really. As I went through school, then you started reading UFO books and that sort of thing. Not that I sort of feared. And then you come across the legends of ghost kind of books in the library and things like that. And it just kind of grew from there. And then in my sort of late teens, just about to go into my 20s, I had a couple of experiences. And that's when I started to sort of look into it and sort of research stuff, just try a few things out, really. So that's where it really started for me was, you know, sort of 1920, something like that. Okay, well, you mentioned that you had some personal experiences, so you, you can't leave it there. What were they? <laughs> well, when I was in my sort of mid-teens, I had some strange things going on at home. Our home wasn't notoriously haunted or anything like that. It was just, you know, seeing things and, and, and odd shadows and things moving when, you know, you knew you left them somewhere else, you know, the usual sort of things. But then it kind of fizzled out. But then when I started uh, working, I took on a part-time job and then in in Monmouth called Divine Tree, it was called at the time. And there were some strange things going on there. A couple of people had told me some stories because they knew I was kind of interested in that sort of thing. And I remember the one Saturday 
afternoon, I went to get some change out of the safe upstairs and I felt a push on my back and I heard a grumble as if somebody was behind me trying to get past, you know, so I turned around and there was nobody there. There was nobody, and I just sort of froze on the spot. I was proper taken back by this because this is the first sort of thing that I'd experienced like this, you know. So I thought that it was the landlord or his landlord or landlord's partner because they were they were pair of practical jokers, pretty much. So I'd look around, and there was nobody upstairs, and I went down to the bar area, and there was only one person downstairs on the bar. There was nobody else in the pub. So that was my first sort of scooby-doo moment if you want to call it that whereas there is something in this do you know what i mean you know i've just experienced something in this pub that's probably 700 years old or whatever it is and it was very weird very weird and very unnerving at the time and i, and I was a little bit taken back for a while and it, and it raised questions in my head then what was it now surely it could have been my imagination but no how would this happen do you know there was nothing there that could have caused it to happen the way it did so yeah from that sort of point on i started taking things a lot more seriously then your childhood sounds very similar to mine and I know that we're roughly the same sort of age. My situation was the same as yours, although I didn't go into the investigation side of it. I grew up and I watched my first horror movie that I ever watched, which you can't, I don't know whether you can really call it a horror movie, was the Nightmare on Elm Street films. Right. And then they they were more of a laugh than anything else. But then I watched The Entity and mm, that scared film. the living crap out of me. And yeah. uh, I can still remember the noise from that. Yeah, the... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was absolutely yeah. petrifying. And a friend of mine, in fact, two friends of mine and, and myself, actually used to bunk off school and go to the library in Newport Town Centre. Uh, we, we were like the worst truants ever because we used to... <laughs> what, what, what truants actually go to the library? But we used to go to exactly. the library because you didn't have internet back then. You wanted to no. look up all of these paranormal stories and, and read all of these accounts of all of these, these things that really went on. And they used to have catalogues of the 14 Times magazines there at the library and and lots of these books by Arthur C. Clarke because he was doing the World of Strange Powers films at the time. Do your parents know that you were not going to school? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Well, I mean, technically they were study periods, but we should have been in Uh school, but we had a free bus pass because we were in school. You're going to watch how quick your short little mom... Yeah, (laughs) kicks my my six foot four ass. Yeah, I know, yeah. So uh, same sort of thing as yourself, but we I didn't obviously go into the paranormal side of it. And then my first job, I was working in a music shop and in on Commercial Street in Newport. And the fourth floor of this shop, because it was a really old, I don't know whether it's Victorian or whatever, but a really, really old, big, tall building had four floors. And the fourth floor was kind of burnt out. And legend has it in that store that... There was a fire in there and there used to be the maids back in the days when those buildings were built would occupy the top of the building and then serve the people in the floors below. And apparently the maids died in that building. Now, whether this was just a story again brought about by my bosses who were practical jokers, I don't know, but... Yeah, we were all petrified to go up into that room. Can't think of anything that ever happened, but maybe it was the whole... Yeah, subconscious type thing, playing tricks on your head. Yeah. Well, it's funny because that kind of rings, rings to what happened at the Vine Tree because the, the landlady, she she was kind of into this sort of stuff. So she started coming along with me on a Sunday. She, 
I used to just go and observe mediums in the spiritualist church just for something to do. And it was, I found it quite interesting, you know. A friend of hers then got in touch with her because she started to experience things, knocks, bumps, bangs, and she was starting to get a little bit freaked out. Her partner was a good friend of mine, Bernie, sort of poo-pooed the idea that oh, it's just old building, blah, blah, blah. So she got some friends to come and take a look, and they were mediums. I'm not quite sure what type of mediums they were, but they come in and, and funny enough, they picked up on like a, a, a made sort of serving wench type of person. They think that was causing the, the issues at the pub that I got pushed. It's an old building. And, and like you say, the, your place, I think this one goes back to like the 1400s or something. Mm. And back then servants and wenches are kind of looked down and frowned upon and sort of held prisoner and all this sort of thing. So, Which is really bad. It's really bad to do that and to look down on those sorts of people anyway because they handle your food. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. If if you did that now, you'd get a left hook in the door, wouldn't you? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Your your website mentions that your first goal is actually to disprove anything before trying to establish if anything is actually paranormal occurring. Have you managed to disprove many accounts? Yeah, quite a few. I mean, look, I've been sort of into this like you say for near enough 20 around the 25 years and probably i've experienced maybe four five things in those 25 years or whatever that i couldn't explain most things i could have a perfect example that was i had a phone call from a friend who knew somebody in in cinderford who was having all sorts of problems in her home she was seeing figures she was hearing voices and all this type of thing so me and a couple of the others grabbed a load of kits and headed up there to go and see her because it sounded you know she had young children quite distressed so we got there and we set all the kits out and the first thing we do is obviously take your baseline readings and that sort of thing and uh, we got the emf uh, trifield meter not a k2 a proper trifield and it just the needle was bending off the scale and i was like whoa you know this is this faulty so we tried just uh, one of the guys had a, a, a standard sort of ghost-busting K2 meter thing with them. And that thing was lighting up in all sorts of directions. So anyway, we was going around the rooms. What we quickly found out in the space of, of 10, 15 minutes, the place was just like in a massive, like, it was like a pylon almost. It was giving off that much EMF. And it was down to the wiring. And a lot of people experience things and feel nauseous and, and see things and hear things. It's most you know, it's mostly down to EMF, things like that, you know? Yeah. So we sort of said to her, look, can't really do much because the EMF readings are off the scale. That would be the most likely cause. Anyway, she was like she was a little bit, oh, so sort of explained it all to her. We said, Look, you really need to speak to your landlord because this is really unhealthy for you. This is really bad. You know, you shouldn't be in it really. Yeah. Uh, especially with young children, you know. So obviously she got in touch. And I found a few months later, miraculously, everything stopped. Had the history wide and checked over and everything else. Hey, presto, the ghosties were gone. It's EMF and things like that play a big part of it, you know, and it can play tricks on people, you know, in various guises. So what What exactly is that? What does it What does it do? <laughs> Electromagnetic field. It, it, I mean, I mean I Electromagnetic know. field, yeah. It's, it's like basically living under a pylon. It can make you poorly, but, you know, it can make you hallucinate. It can make you do... It can suck all your energy. It can do some pretty nasty stuff. There's people that live near, like, mobile phone masts, the old 3G masts, that mm. that used to, when they first come out, said that they were feeling the effects of them. I don't think anything was ever necessarily proved, but certainly there was a hell of a lot of people coming forward saying... Yeah, we're really noticing headaches and hallucinations and... Yeah. You need to get me yeah, some of that. Yeah. 
I'll yeah. come up into the bedroom. Bzz, what's going on? I oh, no, I've just turned the pylon on, honest. Yeah, it's a pylon. It's a pylon. Yeah, yeah it looks like Pass- a pylon. Passenger yeah, Exactly. <laughs> You've apparently had a regular slot on network radio shows and cable shows. Is that correct? Yeah, it was an American guy who was running this website, sort of stroke cable-based paranormal UFO, cryptozoology, website type thing, you know. And what we did, he wanted us to supply him with several investigative videos of what we do on investigations and what we find and that sort of thing. So, yeah, it was like a, it was like once a month. It went over a course of a number of months. And it was interesting, you know, and we got quite good feedback from it. As you all know, Americans love uh, paranormal shows, don't they? Yeah, it was what it was. It wasn't for entertainment purposes. I mean, you know, we always said if we did an investigation and we found nothing, we found nothing, we wouldn't ham it up or anything like that. I think a lot of them were interested in the history of the buildings as well. You know, that goes hand in hand with it, doesn't it, really? Um, but yeah, we did several episodes for them, yeah. As you obviously know, Bella is American and, and she's just astounded by the age of a lot of the buildings and everything here because there isn't that history yeah. in America. There's a, there's a lot of the Native American sites that have the history, but certainly modern buildings. Well, yeah, because back home they just knock it all over and build something else on it. Here they just build around whatever it was. <laughs> they don't knock it down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah no, that's absolutely course, right. Yeah. You you mentioned that on your website that you also did some work with uh, BBC Radio Four. Yeah, that's right. There's a friend of mine. She's uh, she owns a shop in Gloucester called Spellbound. She's a full on pagan witch. She's a lovely, lovely person. I've known her for a number of years. She's very knowledgeable, mad as a box of frogs. Brilliant, lovely person. Well, she gets a lot of media people contacting her because of what she does. And she was approached by BBC Radio 4. And what they wanted to do was to do a Halloween radio special. So she sort of said, we've been asked, should we do it, me and you? And I said, OK, sure. And it wasn't until a week before who I knew who it was going to be and where it was going to be. It was at the Ancient Ramen, which is one of my favourite places of all time. I absolutely love that place. If you've never been, you must go. No, I haven't. It's absolutely, it's absolutely, it's a tiny place, but it's just so full of history. And poor old John has sadly passed away. So his daughter runs it now, but it's just a remarkable building. It's like 1,200 years old. We had this email come through saying, yeah, we like to do, it's a sort of all afternoon into the late evening, early hours type live investigation, but it won't be going out live. Obviously, it's got to be edited. And it would be with the cast of The League of Gentlemen. And I was like, because I'm a fan of theirs anyway. So this is brilliant. So we turned up and there's uh, Rhys Shearsmith, uh, Mark Gatiss, uh, Steve Pemberton, out of Benidorm and various other things, number nine and League of Gentlemen, of course, and Jeremy Dyson, who's uh, the writer for the shows. And also he wrote Ghost Stories, the film and stage show and various other things and episodes on TV as well. So we were asked to do a Halloween special with them. And that was, uh, yeah, it was interesting to say the least and great fun. Great fun. Is that still available somewhere to to watch or listen to, do you know? The audio clip of it is on my website. It's actually on the Ah, audio section on my website, yeah. I'll have to have a look at that. Yeah, I've got some video footage of some, but the camera I had at the time wasn't the best. <laughs> There's some interesting bits on there. I mean, there were some bits that didn't make it. The, one of the funniest things, that, well, two of the funniest things were uh, Jeremy Dyson, of course, is known for his horror writing and stuff. And the producer asked me to separate them all, put them in separate rooms. So Mark Gatiss went into the bishop's room. Steve Pemberton went into the witch's room. I put Rishi Smith in the attic. And I put Jeremy Dyson in the barn because the hub, 
as you, the producers and all the mixing equipment were set up in the what's called the gentleman's kitchen or the bar area as I call it. <laughs> so anyway, in the barn is where famously Stuart the most haunted was picked up and thrown across the room. And as a result of that, he lost all his hair. Okay, say nothing more about that. But um, <laughs> so I put, so I, I'm I'm marching. Imagine this barn's probably thirty feet long, probably by ten, twelve, maybe fifteen feet wide. So there's only one entrance in. There are like big doors, but they're blocked off. You can't get to it. And down either side, there's quite a bit of junk, chairs, and whatnot. So anyway, I'm marching down to the bottom, all mic'd up, and I says to him, "This is where some so supposedly happened. I've had several experiences in this area anyway." so you stay here and of course he was like yeah okay so as I was walking out the door excuse me I set up some motion sensors probably halfway up the room and I set them up mm, sort of three or four feet off the floor uh, obviously because of you know, mice and that sort of thing so we're all back in the hub and they're all doing their little piece two radio and all of a sudden the motion sensors got beep 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 beep, beep. and Jamie, you could hear Jamie Dyson and I'm like oh my god oh, oh what's that you know he starts fine he said oh please oh. so I ran to the barn ran into the barn and got there and I said what's that he goes oh what was that what was that I said well I said it certainly wasn't a mouse or anything like that I said because these sensors are like two three feet apart and they're four feet off the floor I said so summer has gone through them to trip it off you know and I said it wouldn't be an insect I wouldn't and he said, oh, all right. And I can hear in my earpiece and the producer's going, oh, what, what happened? And I sort of explained it back to him to look the live mic in the room. And he said, right, make him stay in there for 10 more minutes. This is brilliant. So, <laughs> so I said, um, Richard, the producer, I think Richard was his name. He said, you've got to stay in here for 10 more minutes because obviously, obviously things are happening. He goes, oh, I don't know. And I, was, I said, that's what they're telling me. I said, right. I said, so go back down there. <laughs> go back down the end of the barn. I'll set these up again. I'll go out and I'll shut the door. And as I'm walking up to set these things, you know, away from him, I turn and he stood right, he stood right behind me. He said, I'm not standing down there anymore on my own. Like, you know, he's fucking <laughs> not doing it. I said, look, all right, just stay by here. And um, so he stood in the middle of the bar and he was visibly a little bit shaken by it. So I set the motion sensors a bit for it, shut the door. And I think he lasted about four minutes. He's like, oh, come and get me out. I can't do it. <laughs> so we had to go rescue him yeah we had to go rescue him it, it proper it, you know we took him by surprise because i mean that room when you close the door off it's pitch black you know it is yeah. literally pitch black and of course when you're in a room that size and there's only one way out the stomach starts beeping to sort of say well somebody's just tripped this off Can imagine? yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's brilliant it was brilliant. Especially if you can't see if there is anything there. Yeah, I mean, I suppose if yeah. you're in there with a light on, that's another matter. But yeah. if the alarm starts going off and there's no lights on in the place, yeah. <laughs> of course, he had no torch or anything in there with him. We sort of sat him on the chair. Just don't move. Just stay there. You'll be fine. Don't run. <laughs> don't wander off. Just stay there. <laughs> of course, this went off and he's like, oh, <laughs> I don't like it. I don't like it. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's hysterical. Excellent. So earlier, uh, you said that you had, uh, was it four things that you couldn't explain of the things yeah. that you investigated? And obviously, you told us about the EMF readings in the house. So you were able to disprove that. But what's something that you did come across that you yeah, couldn't sort of explain? C- conclusive evidence that there is something paranormal. Right. Okay. Probably the one that really, I mean, the ancient ram in that barn area was one where I seen like a black. Can you imagine at the end of the barn doorway in, there's ambient lights unless you block it off coming in from the other rooms. 
So at the end, right at the end, you can see like not light, but you know what I mean. It's a lighter area. You can see it. One of the experiences I had there, I've seen it twice. Was like the best way I can explain it. It's like a black fog, and it <laughs> it comes through the door. And of course, for the first time you see it, you're like, "What the is that?" You know, and it starts moving down the barn. And you, of course, you the only way to get out is to go through yeah, it. Go through it yeah. So um, the first time I saw that, I was absolutely rooted to the spot, couldn't move, and it just dissipated after several seconds. Like to this day, I can't explain. But the one that really, really sticks with me it's quite a serious investigation. Uh, there's a local pub in Monmouth. It's no longer a pub. I won't reveal the name, obviously, because uh, it's a new business just moved in there. But there are, have been some books written on it. I'll let you know about it after, guys, privately. And it, it's funny, prior to that, we was investigating the Savoy Cinema just after it had been refurbished and various people to do it. Anyway, the medium was with us, Tony, the one, the, the pagan witch. She, she mentioned to me, she said, there's something telling me for you not to get involved with this place that begins with this letter she said i don't know where it's coming from she said but i'm just getting this thing saying don't get involved because it's not for you so no i just sort of took it with a pinch of salt as i do because that's just my sort of nature anyway several months down the line i get a phone call from this very very worried landlady very shaky voice and she said oh, well, i don't know if i'm speaking to the right person but i wonder if you can help me she said Somebody left her wallet behind last night. I found it under the table on the floor and I opened it and in there was a business card with your name on it. She said, so I don't know if I'm speaking to the right person or if you think I'm mad. And so we'll slow down. And she told me where it was. And the first thing I thought was the warning I approved to is like, okay. So she was telling me that things were like footsteps, um, taps turning themselves on, doors slamming in her and her partner's face, things smashing, this kind of stuff going on. And I was like, wow, she's too good to be true. You hear something like that and it's like, this is Hollywood stuff, you know, it doesn't happen. So anyway, I spoke to a couple of people and two people said to me, don't go there because people have been there before in the past with previous owners, unbeknown to me, and it's turn their lives upside down. They said, whatever you do, please don't do it. You know, so I have to, because obviously someone's reaching out for help. Somebody's got to do something, you know? So me and the guys went there. They shut the pub the one night so we could do it. And the, and the, the bar area downstairs was, didn't feel, you know, you know, sometimes you walk in a place, don't you? And, and you feel, Ooh, Yeah, like, an, like an oppressive yeah. nature. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, that part felt fine. We went up onto the second floor then. He showed us around the kitchen and the bedroom, said this is where the taps turn on and blah, blah, blah. Then there was the third floor. And we went up into the third floor and it was, you could just cut it with a knife. It, it was the most horrible, oppressive, that's the word, not wanting to be the kind of feeling you could have. Not because of what we were even told, because you always go in open-minded, you know, you have to. You can't go in with a subset in your head already what to expect do you know what I mean mm. and Cody Owens was like oh, I don't like the feel of this something just felt out of kilter in a big way anyway so we set up a bits and bobs kit it was quiet for a while not a lot was going on and then there was things being recorded uh, the videos on my website things being thrown around in the one room in particular on the wooden bare floor and a pretty worrying guttural growl uh, which was caught on the audio as well, which was a little bit unnerving, which we didn't hear at the time until we played it back, but we certainly heard the, the smashing and banging. And of course, you know, we were sort of stood downstairs 
on the second floor at the bottom of the stairs and you could hear this going on and a couple of the guys have gone outside for a cigarette and they're talking to the, the landlady and she's in tears and she's proper worried and she's you know she's like oh, no I want it gone I said look we could try a few things I said but it can make things worse things get worse before they get better or nothing will change at all you know kind of thing and as we're saying this we're, there's like five of us stood at the bottom of the stairs you can hear these heavy footsteps bang bang coming down the stairs and you could hear the wooden banister straining as if somebody was leaning on it. And it was coming closer and closer and it stopped about three steps from us and it just stopped. And we're all stood there like white, staring at the stairs, expecting something to happen, but nothing happened. And these footsteps got really heavy. You know, you could hear them over our voices. There was nobody up on the floor. Bang, bang, bang. Typical sort of Hollywood horror. Bang, down the stairs, you know. Creaking handrail, just stopped. And we just stood there speechless for... It seemed like forever. And then my partner came up from downstairs. She walked into the room, frightened the life out of us because we were all sort of staring at the stairs. <laughs> and she's like, so what are you doing? He's like, oh, Jesus Christ almighty, you know. Fucking hell, you know. <laughs> you know, and that sort of broke the tension. Anyway, so some other weird things were going on that night. A couple of years experienced some things. And I went into the room on my own at one stage saying, look, you know, you're not welcome here. This isn't your place kind of thing. Look, just leave these people alone. The next day... We woke up. I had the most horrendous headache, sore throat and chest problem that I'd had in a long, long time. I'd never had anything like that. And that stuck with me for about four months, this cough, headaches. I had several tests at the doctors, bloods, this, that and the other, x-rays, nothing. They could not detect any reason why I was having these symptoms. And I mean, it, I've had pleurisy before. And the cough was almost like that, you know, but the headaches. I lost something like six stone in weight, couldn't eat, couldn't sleep. Wow. It could have been total, total coincidence. And to be honest, it probably was. But a, to, Never get know. Warning, to get that warning several months before from the medium I was working with at the time, don't go into this place. Totally at the blue. She just stopped and said, don't go into this place. So they don't know why it's, where it's come from. Don't go there. Then I got warned by several people not to do it. And then in your words, you get the phone call from this landlady. And in your words, you say it was too good to be true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Honestly, that affected probably, you know, most of the team that night. We've had some other encounters like that as well with different places, but nothing like that. That was, if it was a scene over film, that was it. You know, that was that was your holy grail moment. You know, as an investigator, you always want an investigation to be Hollywoody type things, you know what I mean? Too good to yeah, be true. Yeah. It was just we couldn't explain it. You know, we tried and tried to find, you know, how were those stairs going clump, clump, clump? How were these things being thrown around upstairs when there was nobody on that floor? How were these taps turning on? How were these doors slamming shut in people's faces when there's no drafts? All these kind of things. I started writing the book of my experiences for a publisher wanted me to do a book. Of course, my mum fell ill and then sadly died. So I kind of procrastinated from it. I haven't got back to it. But I was thinking about starting to do it again and publishing it myself. And I sort of asked it to a few people. And the amount of stories I've gotten from people about this particular pub, which is not a pub anymore, the experience they, they've had when they worked there fall in line pretty much with a lot of things that I experienced on the investigation. Why? You said that you um, also investigated at the Savoy? The Savoy, yeah. yeah. Savoy Picture House in Monmouth, yeah. 
Done that. It's, that's an interesting one. We had a few things going on in there. We were the first people in there after the big renovation. Um, obviously, because they, they say, don't they, when you change things in the building, they don't like it if it's haunted yeah. and they start kicking up a fuss. Well, you know, I, I just contacted the, the the trustee who was in charge of the trust at the time and said, look, we would like, we don't know if it's haunted or not. I have heard stories from my mum when she worked there many, many years ago. We would like to do an investigation. We would like to donate some money, you know, if you let us have it for the evening. She said, yeah, absolutely. Everyone loves a good ghost story. So when I investigated, there was one or two things, but there's a lot of ambient street noise, even in, in, in the quieter areas outside, you know what I mean? So we couldn't say for certain that the things we experienced there were paranormal. But there was one thing that happened that sort of made us question ourselves a bit. But, you know, it could have been a natural occurrence. It's an interesting place and it's got a really interesting history as well. Because going back to like the 1500s, used to be a pub called the Bell Inn. And obviously grew and expanded. And in 1820, it was actually a roller skater rink. Didn't even know that existed in the 1800s. But apparently yeah. in 1820, it was a roller skating rink, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's had a massive history as as the Shire Hall as well. We've investigated that as well. But the Savoy, it's, it's an amazing building. It really is an amazing building. And, and, you know, there are one or two ghost stories there. And one or two people have come with us, picked up on a, a spirit of a prostitute who was murdered there. And obviously, we couldn't verify it. So I always like to try and verify findings that people come up with but obviously we couldn't find any proof of that very interesting and it's investigated a lot by a lot of teams yeah. we were invited along to an investigation there ourselves you had a something happened didn't you where you heard well yeah i was sitting in one of the theater chairs and i can't remember what the guy's name was but he was up on the stage just setting up equipment and all that you Skinner. know so we're just sitting there and i wasn't talking to him because obviously like i could tell he was busy but anyway a woman, it was a woman's voice, and it, it was off, you know, to, it would have been to my left. And it said, it said, what are you doing? And then I kind of looked over, and then I looked at him, and he looked at me, and he was like, did you hear that? <laughs> and we were like, and I said, and I said, yeah, and then it said it again. What are you doing? Like, clear as a bell. It was so weird. And we were the only two that were even in that in the room at the time so it was really strange the interesting thing was was that we were up above at the time and we heard them right. say did you hear that and then they both said what what did you hear and they both said at the same time what the, are you the doing same thing, what are yeah. you doing so they wow. so they did actually hear the same thing now i personally think that off to bella's left would have been the fire exit so it could have been the outside of the fire exit in that little alleyway. There could have been someone yeah. in there. But the other chap that was there said that he felt that it was this side of the fire exit. Well, whatever. It was enough to scare me. Yeah. 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 You know, yeah. and I'm like, well, I'll just stay here for a little while. <laughs> I'm not going to go over there. <laughs> That's the only trouble with that place because, you know, you get people walking out on the main street, you know, St. Mary's Street and um, Church Street. You can hear it. It's the same with the Shire Hall as well. You know, you can hear a pin drop outside. It's a real shame. Yeah. But, um, you know, we've had people who sat in front of the stage who've come with us. We've done it sort of three or four times, I think. And, you know, other teams have said to me as well, they've heard voices whisper in their ears and they've heard the name called. It's not totally untrue that what you experienced could have been paranormal, you know, because other people have experienced that sort of thing as well. There's been accounts apparently of during the day when there's been a show on of people actually seeing an usher dressed in the old garb or something like that, or yep. even 
in the, I think it's the first sort of five or six rows from the front in the middle. They say that there's two people that sit next to each other, even when there's no shows on. There's just the people, the staff wow. will walk in and they'll see two people sat there. Amazing. They'll go down thinking there's someone actually in place. And by the time they get down to the seats, they've disappeared. So it's it's quite interesting, the stories that go on. I think the town that we live in has got so much history. history it's, yeah. it's a brilliant yeah. place for this kind of thing. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. If people want to find out a little bit more about what you're doing, where can they go and what can they expect to find? Basically, the website's it's got a few things on there. It needs updating, to be honest, because I'm in the middle of a, an investigation at the moment of a, another pub in town. It's the Punch House Inn. Oh, oh, right, yeah, another Punch House. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, in the middle, I'm in the middle of doing that. Obviously, with the current situation, I can't follow it up at the moment. I've done an evening there and had some experiences which were a bit strange. So I'm going to go back and explore the rest of it because there's quite a lot of rooms there. So that's what I'm going on in a minute. But, that, yeah, people can look on the website, obviously, as you stated before. And I've also got a Facebook page of the same name as well, Ghost Watchers Inc. on Facebook. Probably needs updating a little bit as well. So they can contact me or send me messages on there or via email via the website. Or I think my phone number's on there as well, possibly. So, yeah, that's so they can get in touch. Excellent. So the website again was www.ghostwatchersinc.co.uk. Yep. We'll definitely have to have you back on the show to talk a little bit more in depth about a few other things. We've, we've had to cut this short this time, but certainly there's plenty more that you have that we can delve into. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, maybe next time this is all over, you put the kettle on and come and sit down there and do it with you. Hey, there that'd you be go. absolutely that'd brilliant. Be cool. Yeah, come and, <laughs> come and sit in the studio with us and uh, yeah, we'll go through it together. No problem at all. I'll bring some Doritos and dips. <laughs> yeah, well, you have to be quiet with the Doritos on, on the mic because it doesn't sound... <laughs> you know, it's, 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 not the, it's not the best audio companion that you can have in the room, no. but certainly... Uh, yeah. Who was that? Who was that? Was that you? No, no that would have no, no. been, yeah. been you, Bella, if there yeah. was Doritos in you. Yeah. All right, well, listen, you take care of yourself. Thank you very much again for joining us on the show. We really do appreciate it, and we will definitely speak to you again. Excellent. Thanks for uh, having me. And, Thank uh, take you. Take care both and stay safe. Thank you. you. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. There we go. He's a decent bloke, isn't he, Phil? Yeah, but I didn't realise I lived in such a creepy part of the world. Well, that's that's absolutely true. There's a yeah. lot of history in this town, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. I remember when we first moved here, Bryce and I walked up the town, I think, you were working or I don't know what you were doing on this particular day, but Bryce and I walked up the town and we went to the little castle that's at the top of the hill. Yeah. So if you walk through the town centre of Monmouth, walk up past all the shops, you can miss it. It sounds ridiculous, but you can miss it. If you walk down this little alleyway and past this army barracks, there's a little ruins of a castle. The amount of times I've been in and out of Monmouth over my lifetime, and I never even knew it was there. Yeah, nice little hidden history. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that someone like Phil would be a really good person to start doing walking ghost tours yeah, in right. Monmouth. Mm. I think that he would get a lot of business out of something like that. He knows his stuff, he knows the area, and I reckon he would he would do really well with that. And it's quite a touristy place, this, so... People coming on holiday, yeah. staying at the hotels, could literally sign up to go on a tour with him. There we go. Phil, if you're listening to this, I want a commission on that, mate. We'll work it out together. Stay tuned, mate. We'll, we'll get that sorted. Anyway, we promised you this earlier on. We've now got the first of our regular features with UFO researcher himself, Richard Lenny. Hi, and welcome to the 10-minute slot with your host, Rich Lenny. For those of you who don't know who I am, I'm a ufologist. I live in Great Britain. And, um, well, I've been a ufologist now for over 30 years. 
but I went public back in uh, around 2011. And ever since, um, I've been doing talks around the country. I've been on quite a few radio shows, including this one in the past. And I've done TV, and I've been in magazines and books. I've been doing a lot of research over the years, and um, obviously I've got a lot to talk about. But in this 10-minute slot, what I'm going to be doing once a month here on Weird, Wacky, Wonderful is giving you the latest in UFO sightings from around the world. If you want to know more about me, uh, Richard Lenny, the ufologist, you can find me on Facebook or just Google me. Um, my surname is spelled L-E-N-N-I-E. And then you can find out more about what I've, uh, what I've done. So I'm going to start off today with Bangalore City. Now, Bangalore City is in India. And this past 20 to 30 days, it's become a hotspot for UFOs. And um, the, the craft that they're seeing mainly are spheres. Now, I've been researching these for many years, and they're high up in the atmosphere, usually around about 20, 30,000 feet. Um, and occasionally they can come down to just below rooftops. And we also believe that they are responsible for the majority of the crop circles uh, found around the world, especially in the UK. Now, these spheres are seen mainly at night by uh, people in India. And Bangalore City uh, apparently is the one with the most. So they've been getting heavy traffic now from the last 20 to 30 days. And the majority of people are getting their cell phones out and they're catching these spheres. We think mainly the reason for this being is um, obviously with the lockdown, everyone's inside now and there's not many planes flying. So obviously there's been a lot more sightings than usual. If we go on to uh, the second, uh, Mr. John Wilson, you've probably heard of him. He's a ufologist here in uh, the UK as well. He's a researcher. I've done work with him in the past. We've collaborated on a number of sightings. Well, he is an avid moon watcher and he has a very powerful telescope. And um, he's been catching a lot of stuff lately. Now, with the Comet Atlas um, in view at the moment, and by the way, the tail now is starting to break up. Um, so in the night sky now, when it's clear, it's sort of like a bluey green haze. But if you've got a very powerful telescope, you will actually see it's got a long tail. And then because uh, the tail now, of course, is uh, full of rocks as the uh, comet is starting to break up. But John was also uh, noticing around the comet these unusual looking lights. He thought they were stars to begin with. But when he actually uh, zoomed in on his telescope, he could see that they weren't actual stars or planets. They had a sort of like um, box shape to them. It reminded me of, um, I don't know if you've seen the film Blade Runner, but the, um, the car that they use in that, the spinner, they call it. It reminds me a lot of that. It's got a very sort of boxy look to it. And they're surrounding what looks like they're surrounding the comet. Now, uh, John's going to try and see if he can get out there again with his telescope on a clear night to see if he can see them again. This was on the 6th of April, and I believe he's going to be going back out again very shortly to see if he can uh, see if they're still there. 
but he's also noticed other things as well. Um, he's seen these spheres that I see, and he's seen other strange things. And also, he has seen something very peculiar, which I believe he's going to be putting up on his Facebook page very soon. So if you go over to John Wilson on Facebook, uh, Wilson is spelled W-A-L-S-O-N. Hopefully he'll put that up on his uh, timeline so you'll better see it. Uh, number three, there's a gentleman called Liam Locke. Now, he lives in Hull, which is also in the UK, and um, he spotted a triangle craft which had a red light in the middle of it, and it flew over his house. This was on the 9th of April. Now, we all know triangle crafts, of course, are uh, very popular now, uh, more so than ever before. And um, some people say that if you see a triangle craft with a red light in the middle of it, it usually means it's one of ours. So it's back engineered, in other words. But um, we don't know that for certain. If it's a triangle and it's silent, whether it's got a light or not on it, um, I would say it was probably not of ours, not of our world, not made by us. It's got to be something else. Um, either, like I said, back engineered from extraterrestrial craft or actually flown in some sort of intelligent way by extraterrestrials. So he got a really good video of that, and I believe that's on his Facebook page. So if you go over to Liam Locke, L-I-A-M-L-O-C-K, and you'll probably find his videos on there as well. Also, there's a YouTuber called Ufovini, or Ufovini, yeah, Ufovini. Uh, it's pronounced Uvovini, and it's spelled U-F-O-V-N-I, and then there's 2012 after it. Now, he's like John Wilson. He's got a very powerful telescope, and he watches the stars, and he catches a lot of anomalies. He also does a lot of um, research on the sun as well, with UFOs going around the sun and going into the sun. Um, but, yeah, he actually caught a purple beam of light just purely by accident when he was actually observing, um, I think it might have been the comet, actually, but he was up looking at the stars or looking at the comet. And he noticed when he was playing back the video, before he put it up on his YouTube channel, he saw this, like, streak. And um, he wondered what that was, and he sort of caught it in between frames. And if you look at it, when he freezes it, it's a real long beam of purple light. Now, at the top end of this purple beam of light, there is a little white line. And now we assume that that's the UFO and the beam of purple light behind it is what it's causing as it's flying through space. And he says or he reckons that this craft was actually flying faster than the speed of light and he just happened to catch it. And it's so quick. I mean, unless you look really closely, you're not going to see it. But luckily, he actually freezes the frame and, and shows it to you. So if you go on his YouTube channel, he has got that up there at the moment. Um, but it's definitely something. He has definitely caught something there. And again, I don't think that's anything to do with us. So I don't think we've got anything that goes that fast. But it definitely looks like there is something at the end of this beam of purple light. And it's very strange. Um, also, we have um, a sky watcher from uh, Wisconsin. And he had um, a stunning image of uh, two, UF, uh, two huge UFO light ships um, by the planet of Venus. So basically, what this chap was doing 
um, he was observing Venus, and he caught um, through his telescope these two light ships. He calls them light ships because if you can imagine, you know what a wand looks like. So you've got this black stick with two white bits either end. Well, it looks like that, but at one end where the white bit is, you've got this red light. And he saw two of them in space, literally, as he was looking at Venus. They came into view. Um, it's, it's incredible. He's got, he's got video footage, I believe, but he's definitely got photos of this. I mean, this thing is absolutely huge. Obviously, it's hard to say exactly how big it is, but it is huge. And there's two of them, and they're definitely nothing that we've made. I mean, they don't even look man-made. They don't even look back-engineered. And how far into space they are, I just don't know. But um, it's a stunning image. You, ha you know, if you, uh, if you can find it, um, I don't think I've got the guy's name here at all. But um, we discovered it on YouTube. I think Euphony2012 has got it up on his Facebook page. Um, so, yeah, so if you go over to that YouTuber, uh, Euphony2012, and I think he's got that video on there as well, showing these two light ships. Absolutely incredible. So um, that's it at the moment. Um, I think you're up to date on everything. Um, obviously, if I find any more information out about these, I'll let you know on my next broadcast. And um, until next month, this is Rich Lenny signing off. Thank you very much, Richard. Much appreciated. Yeah, I think that will be a nice little slot. Yeah, in definitely. Our, uh, programming. Definitely. And Richard has also sent us some links for some of the things that he mentioned in his report. So have a look at our show notes and then go and have a look at some of the things he was talking about. Yeah, and it's great too because he's got information mm. that we don't have and he's much more versed in it than we are. So it's good that he can come on and just give everybody a little something to think about. Yeah, exactly. He brings something to the show that we can't. So really appreciate you being on board, Richard. Thank you very much. Part of the team, he has his spot on our About page via our website, www.weirdwackywonderful.co.uk. Click on the About section, and then you can see Richard on there and read a little bit more about him. And the same for our next correspondent. <laughs> I've always wanted to say that. Uh -huh. And over to our paranormal correspondent, Ruth Roper Wild. Over to our correspondent, live on the ground. <laughs> over to you, Ruth. Hi, everyone. This is author Ruth Roper Wild, and I'll be bringing you a segment on all things that go bump in the night, or to be more accurate, any time of day or night. I write about ghosts and the paranormal, and I wanted to share with you some of my research and general thoughts about the hauntings which are still so prevalent even in today's normally bustling world, and maybe inspire the budding ghost hunters amongst you to try and document some evidence for posterity yourselves. My personal mantra when researching hauntings is to maintain a completely open mind about what people are recounting to me. Over my years of researching for my books, and coupled with my own personal experiences, I've become certain of one underlying fact – Inexplicable phenomena does occur. It happens to anyone, anywhere, any time of day or night, in any type of weather conditions. There is no one recipe for the ideal conditions in which to see a ghost, or hear something, or see something moving which shouldn't. 
My hope is that by capturing evidence and documenting people's experiences, in time someone clever enough will come along who can put together all that data, find the string that runs through it, and solve the mystery of what exactly is going on. So in my segments talking to you, I'm hoping to bring you some interesting snippets of hauntings from around the world, as well as maybe delve a little deeper into some of my own research with you and the accounts that appear in my books. At the moment, of course, a lot of the world is in lockdown and it's difficult to get out there and ghost hunt. So what better time to daydream instead of where you would choose to live if you had no budget to worry about and no restraint on geographical location? You could do worse than think of buying a property which recently went up for sale in Ireland for about the £1.5 million mark. Port Lick Castle lies in beautiful County Westmeath in the very heart of Ireland. It is essentially a 12th century castle with various architectural features which have been added to on over the centuries by different owners. As well as the original four-storey core of the castle, there is a two-storey Georgian-era wing and a Victorian-era tower. It was refurbished and restored after it suffered a catastrophic fire on the 17th of July 1861, incurring the loss of thousands of pounds worth of antique furnishings, books and china. Portlick stands close to the shores of Loch Ree, a large inland lake, which in Ireland are called lochs, spelt L-O-U-G-H, as opposed to the Scottish spelling of L-O-C-H. You would be buying a property which boasts 27 acres of land, 10 bedrooms, 12 bathrooms, a four-bedroomed lodge house in the grounds, stables, a wonderful view over the loch, and some resident ghosts. The first ghost is known as the Blue Lady, often seen in the upstairs office rooms, in an old-fashioned dress with a bun in her hair. And then there is also the prisoner who still makes his presence known in the dungeons below the castle. Little seems to be known about who either of these ghosts were in life, but I did find a fascinating account from an American writer who visited the property in 2006 and who had an interest in in ghost hunting. Their party arrived travelling down the long wooded driveway which leads to the castle and were immediately in awe of its picturesque rural setting. They decided to take a stroll down through the woods to the edge of the lake to admire the view and stretch their travel-weary legs. Although they enjoyed their stroll, they noted how the area, although beautiful, was unnaturally silent. They couldn't hear either the birds or the insects you'd normally expect to hear in woodland. They walked back up to the castle, and that first evening as they dined, one of their party saw a strange ribbon of glowing blue light momentarily appear near the stairs. Several of the party witnessed a strange mist starting to form and then dissipate, and they also glimpsed moving shadows. Eventually, they all retired to their various rooms for the night, and then reconvened the following morning over breakfast. Chatting, they established that two of the couples had had their sleep disturbed by the sound of furniture being dragged about, even though that clearly wasn't something that was actually happening in the middle of the night. One couple distinctly heard the sound of rustling material, which put them in mind of the sound of someone walking in a long, floor-length dress. And another couple were disturbed by the sensation of a cat jumping onto their bed. On their second evening, one of the party, who was himself a medium, sensed the presence of a male spirit leaning on the railing of the minstrel gallery above the main hall and watching them as they moved about. During this day, they also heard a disembodied male voice on two occasions. Once it simply said, Hello? And the second time it said, whatever you want. 
A disembodied voice, by the way, is defined as a voice which can be heard in real time by the human ear, but emanates from nobody actually present, as opposed to electronic voice phenomena, or EVP, which is where a recording device picks up the sound of a voice speaking, which nobody present at the time actually heard with their own ears. I also found an account from a lady who had visited the castle in around 2000 for her brother's wedding party. When she and her husband were being shown to their rooms, she described feeling a sort of whoomph go through her, as if something had just passed through her body. But brushing it off as a strange feeling, they carried on ahead and changed and freshened up in their room, and then went downstairs to join the other wedding guests who were arriving. On the stairs, though, she saw a blue light forming. She described it as being similar in colour as to a gas flame. The light formed the outline of a man's hip, upper leg and arm, and for a moment this half-seen figure seemed to walk a few steps up, then turn around and head back down the stairs. It's interesting that both accounts, years apart, mention a blue light near the stairs. So go on, have a route down the back of your sofa and see if you can come up with that one and a half million in spare change to buy yourself a haunted castle. Reading about their account of dragging furniture put me in mind of a recent witness interview I conducted whilst researching for material for my fifth book, which will be called These Haunted Times, Volume 2. Wherever possible, I do like to either speak with or correspond with witnesses firsthand so that I can get their own versions of events. And I try to find accounts which have never before been published and which correlate with a particular area I am researching. I spoke with Jim by phone just a few weeks ago when I'd gone out on social media asking about a particular location in Burford, Oxfordshire in the UK. Burford is an ancient market town in the Cotswolds a magical region of rolling hills, grazing sheep and gentle woodlands. Like most of the towns and villages in the region, the houses in Burford are predominantly built from the local stone. Jim didn't have anything to tell me about the actual location I was researching at the time, but he shared with me his parents' experiences when they were a newlywed couple, just starting their family of three children, and living in Burford for a few years before the start of the Second World War. They were renting a terraced cottage which lies on the sloping main high street, aptly called The Hill. In keeping with most properties in the town, the cottage is stone-built and has a charmingly rustic-looking front door with three tiny mullioned windows set in the lintel above it. In later years, the family would often talk about the strange goings-on they endured whilst living in that old cottage. The most frequent occurrence was the sound of stomping, running feet, sounding exactly as if someone was literally running backwards and forwards across the length of the attic. Now, being of quite strong disposition, his father was once brave enough to venture up the ladder into the loft when the footsteps were actually sounding. He poked his head through the hole of the hatch into the loft and took a careful look around. Honestly, I'm not sure I would have been brave enough to poke my head through a hole to try and see what was causing the sound of disembodied footsteps. There was nothing to be seen, even though he could still very clearly hear the loud running footsteps. Thinking very logically, he laid his hand on the boards of the loft floor to see if he could feel any vibration, which he should have been able to if any corporeal entity had been making the noise. There was nothing. On other occasions, they could hear what his father always described as the sound of someone picking up, then dropping, heavy chains in the loft, or throwing big empty metal barrels from one side to the other. There were no such items up there, so when he heard those signs, 
there was never any need to go up and investigate, since it was obvious that there would be nothing physical to cause the disturbance. Now behind that cottage lay another two cottages, set at right angles to it, so that between them they formed a sort of L-shape. During the years that Jim's family were there, those other two cottages were actually uninhabited, because the landlord had trouble finding anybody to rent them, and anybody who did venture to live there never stayed very long. In those cottages, there was more than just sounds in the attic to contend with, since whatever haunted the properties had a tendency in there to literally fling the heavy furniture around, often overturning chairs or bookcases. Jim explained to me that the tales his father and his siblings told never varied or got embellished over the years, and were often the cause of family discussion and explanation, since none of them could come up with any rational thoughts as to what they experienced there. While Jim and I were chatting on the phone, I went on to Google Maps and used Street View to make sure I could identify which exact property he was referring to, since he couldn't remember the street number. When I zoomed in to look to try and see the three little windows over the door that Jim was describing, I also noticed what looked like the face of a creepy-looking old man looking out of one of the upstairs windows. I'm pretty sure that it's actually just a case of paradelia. Paradelia is an aspect of the functioning of the human mind. Because we are genetically conditioned to recognise other human faces, this leads to a tendency for our eyes and brains to work together to try and make a facial pattern out of indistinct shadows and light. So I'm pretty sure that's what this particular image is. But that's the anomaly of paradelia. You can't always be sure whether you're actually seeing a ghostly face or your mind is creating one from shadows. Well, that's all for now. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this segment and will join me again next time for some more spooky goings on. In the meantime, you can follow me, Ruth Roper Wild, on Facebook, Pinterest, Twitter or LinkedIn or email me on wa-1400 at outlook.com. My four books, The Ghosts of Marston Vale, The Almanac of British Ghosts, The Roadmap of British Ghosts and These Haunted Times Volume 1 are all available as paperback or ebook through Amazon or other online booksellers. Catch you next time. Yeah, catch you next time, Ruth. Yep, did very well, I think. Yeah, absolutely. We really appreciate both Richard and Ruth being a part of our show and our team. It's a great compliment to us that we would have two such eminent people in their field willing to associate themselves with us. And they're not being paid. They're doing it out of the goodness of their heart and because they love the subject just like we are. Just like Richard, Ruth has her section on the About page of our website. So again, you can go along there and find out some more information about Ruth, should you wish to do so. You can also find out lots of other information on our website about our other shows, past shows. You can listen to the whole back catalogue right back to 2017. Wow. We've really been doing this since 2017. We have. September 2017, I believe, was our first episode. Wow. Time flies. So until next time, please do make sure you stay weird, weird, wacky wacky and and wonderful. wonderful. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.